This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. On this week's episode, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is joining other groups expressing concern about the construction of a proposed large-scale grain elevator in St. John the Baptist Parish, which is in close proximity to historic sites. A lawsuit filed on behalf of one of the state's three abortion clinics allows them to continue to operate, in theory, despite a trigger law that went into effect immediately following the Supreme Court's decision striking down Roe v. Wade. Those stories, insight, and analysis coming up on Behind the Lens. Joining us this week, environmental reporter Joshua Rosenberg. Hey, Josh. Hey, good morning. Education reporter Marta Jusen. Hi, Marta. Hi, Carolyn. Criminal justice reporter Nick Crastle. Hey, Nick. Morning, Carolyn. And Lens editor Charles Maldonado. Hello, Charles. Morning. So, Joshua, first up with you, a Colorado-based company, Greenfield, Louisiana, LLC, is proposing to build a very large grain terminal in Wallace. It's right in the heart of the state's so-called Cancer Alley. The residents there, mostly Black communities surrounded by the Whitney and Evergreen plantations, are arguing that the terminal's construction would be a disaster for their community. Now the Army Corps of Engineers has added its voice to those expressing concerns First, in background here, what's the project in question and what is the opposition? Great. Thank you. Um, It's uh, it's great being here. So Greenfield has uh, proposed to build this very large grain terminal, like like you were saying, in in this community, um, in in, uh, a river parish right along the Mississippi River, in what's commonly called uh, Cancer Rally or the Chemical Corridor. And... um, you know, it, just just to give you a, a sense of size, a sense of scale, it, it would be really quite quite enormous. There'd be 54 grain silos that would stretch hundreds of feet into the air. Uh, they cast a literal shadow over parts of the community. There would be um, a railroad infrastructure that would be built. There would be a conveyor infrastructure that would stretch over the the levee and and uh, extend towards the, the the river um and and yeah the 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 residents in this mostly black community of wallace have been there for generations and generations they're uh, mostly the descendants of enslaved people who worked the plantations there the, this the area up up and down that stretch of the mississippi or, or, or former plantation tracts of land, generally speaking, with, with their proximity to the river. And the, the residents are concerned with uh, a, a number of potential outcomes. First, the, the health impacts that the uh, elevator might have on their community, the adverse effects it might have on the tourist-based economy that they have there. Over 100,000 people came to visit the Whitney Plantation in, in 2019 before the, the COVID pandemic. And, and also they're concerned that the construction might harm perhaps irreparably um, some unmarked burial sites of, of their uh, enslaved ancestors. And, and that's, of course, something that, that, that can never be undone if, if that does, in fact, happen. What report did they submit? Uh, under the 1996 uh, National Historic Preservation Act, and any organization or, or company that's seeking to to construct something that might uh, impact historic sites is required to submit this uh, cultural resource survey. It's called, and and that's what they submitted. Uh, they they they've said to both 
the state and also to the Army Corps of Engineers. Okay. And the Army Corps of Engineers then flagged something in that report that they were questioning. That's right. So the uh, Army Corps kind of seconded these concerns that others have raised recently. ProPublica did some great reporting earlier this year, I believe it was in May, about this um, employee at the firm that Greenfield contracted to actually complete the the survey report. And this employee at at, at this firm, it's called Gulf South uh, Research Institute, I believe, had these concerns about the effects of the construction on on the area itself, on, on the the impact on the, the people living there, on, on the Whitney Plantation, which has been turned into a, a, a museum dedicated to educating people about the lives and experiences of the enslaved people who live there, and also about potential impact to these unmarked burial sites. And um, according to this reporting from ProPublica, those concerns of hers were essentially diluted, if not outright deleted from the final version of the report that Greenfield submitted, and that has raised these red flags among the residents and and activists who are following this. And it it also led the federal agency charged with um, protecting historic sites, the um, Advisory Council on Historic Preservation, uh, to voice its own concerns about the quality of this report. Uh, in, in, in a letter that the uh, that agency uh, submitted to the Army Corps. And then it also finally led to the Army Corps saying that, hey, we also have our own concerns with the, the, the rigor or the lack thereof, I believe, is how the spokesperson put it to me um, this week. Josh, correct me if I'm wrong. This employee in question, she she publicly disavowed the report and quit her job, right? That's that's right, exactly, Charles. She she was saying that she doesn't want her name associated with this final version of the report. She was basically, aside from I'm sure, or I'm I'm, I'm assuming the the moral considerations. She there 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 were also just from a you know professional reputational standpoint, she was concerned about having her name associated with this final version that Greenfield submitted. So, but at this stage, Army Corps of Engineers has just flagged it and said they have some concerns. There's no formal action that's taken on their part at this stage, right? That's that's exactly right. There, there's still, um, the, this spokesperson was telling me, they're still in their initial stages of their, it's, it's called Section 106 review under the National Historic Preservation Act. And, and, and so they're, they've kind of flagged it, it sounds like, but they're, they're still going through their, their own um, due diligence, I, I, I suppose, if you will. Um, but of course, in, in the meantime, I'm, I'm sure we're gonna get into this in a moment, but in, in, in the meantime, Greenfield has already begun its quote, uh, pre-construction activities on the site, which, um, which means that they're pile driving these very long beams into the ground, kind of, you know, um, since, since the, the, the middle of June, essentially. So, the, but there are a couple of lawsuits that have been filed. Those have not uh, um, prompted a, a cease and desist of any activity yet. That's that's right, exactly. So the residents, in conjunction with um, community organizations and environmental groups, have filed two separate lawsuits. One against the the parish uh, where Wallace is located, St. John the Baptist Parish, 
And, and their argument in that case is that um, the zoning ordinance that was um, enacted about 30 years ago that converted that tract of land from uh, being uh, residential, I, I believe, in, into um, being zoned for heavy industrial use, that zoning ordinance itself uh, should be uh, invalidated because it was um, enacted in this highly corrupt way. The parish president at, at the time uh, ended up going to jail for uh, his, I, I think it was extortion and money laundering that, that might have been involved in, in, in that particular um, enactment of the zoning ordinance. But and anyway, to, to get more to your question, um, the group of presidents uh, filed a temporary restraining order in that case uh, where, where Greenfield has acted as an intervener, saying that until the underlying issue of that case is resolved regarding this zoning ordinance, then Greenfield shouldn't be allowed to do any of its uh, pre-construction activities. And uh, the, the judge in that case, Judge Snowdy, tossed that, you know, that, that motion earlier this month, thereby allowing Greenfield to begin its pile driving activities. Okay. So at this stage, they need either other lawsuits to be filed and or a higher court to to appeal to is that what what happens next so uh as as, as far as i understand it um there, there are a couple different tracks here maybe, maybe three tracks uh if you will the, the first one is is this lawsuit with the, the zoning ordinance and, and and the underlying the 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 merits of that case haven't haven't yet uh been adjudicated if you will so so that you know, let, let's say Judge Snowdy eventually rules for the sake of argument that the zoning ordinance itself is invalid, then that would, uh, of course, prevent Greenfield from constructing the green elevator there. There's a second track where um, the residents have filed a lawsuit against the Louisiana Department of Natural Resources, saying that they improperly granted this um, coastal, use per, coastal use permit exemption uh, to Greenfield. So, so that's a separate track and, 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 and those two lawsuits are, are ongoing. So we'll see how those are eventually resolved. I'm sure that the potential for appeal is, is of course there, frankly, on, on either side. I, I, I would be uh, none too surprised to see an, an appeal from either side, depending on, on how those rulings come down. And then the, the third track, is with the Army Corps having its own uh, purview into granting a, um, a, a Section 106 permit or not. Mm, okay. Just on a side note, you went out there to Whitney. Did you do the whole tour? Yeah, I uh, I, I was I was there. I've, I've been there a few times. Um, there, there was actually a, um, they, they call it a CODEL, a congressional delegation uh, down there uh, recently with the chair of the um, House Committee on Natural Resources, uh, Representative uh, Raul Grijalva, and, and they took us on, on a tour up and down that stretch of the Mississippi River. And it really is remarkable to see all of that heavy industrial construction and all those facilities down there. It's it's something else. It's something that you kind of have to, to see to... To, to really get a sense of the really incredible extent to which that that part of the world has been industrialized. Yeah, the scope and scale of it backing up against this really, really historic land. 
Look, can I ask a real quick question? And I don't know if you, if we're going to back up a little bit and I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer this, but um, I, I heard a story a long time ago and it must've been an association with, I guess the ProPublica report, I don't know, about the the burial sites and how do they go about verifying whether they in fact exist because they that was part of the part of the history was these unnamed unmarked places and it just was oral history passed down that this was a place it's very very difficult to ascertain where they are and and if they in fact are what they hope they are or are need need to be protected in order to save them how do they how do they find them? How do they do it? No, it's a great question. I'll, I'll just start off by saying that um, Greenfield has said repeatedly that they haven't found any evidence of any of these burial sites um, in, in, in their survey of the land. And, and they've also said that um, if, if they ever do come across any of these burial sites, then they would immediately notify um, the, the relevant um, government agencies and, and would cease their activities in, until that's resolved. So I just want to um, include that here. Um, but it's it's such a great question. There are a number of ways that the residents have 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 sought to uh, demonstrate that there's reason to believe that these burial sites exist and, and that they might exist in, in these certain locations. Of course, they they don't know for sure. That's part of the tragedy of the institution of slavery uh, in, in, in this country, that their enslaved people were, were not given the luxury or the, the privilege or, you know, some might say the basic human right of deciding where, they're, where they're, they, they would be buried, where their family members would be buried. There were no markings, there, there were no records kept for uh, posterity, but there was this uh, outside firm that the residents um, solicited the services from that has used uh, satellite images, for instance, and, and they're uh, interested in finding these um, so-called anomalies in the landscape that are perhaps indicative of where some of these sites might exist. And, and when you kind of compare that with what you were saying about the oral history passed down, then, then you could um, maybe get a better sense uh, of, of, of where one might even begin uh, looking for these sites. Wow. All right. Thanks, Joshua. It's great to You're listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Carolyn Heldman. My guests this week are environmental reporter Joshua Rosenberg, criminal justice reporter Nick Krastel, education reporter Marta Jusen, and Lens editor Charles Maldonado. Hi, I'm Michael Isaac Stein, and I cover New Orleans cultural economy and local government here at The Lens. When you listen to this podcast or read a story at our website, you join in on the process of examining life and culture in a way that makes us all better citizens and better people. With more and more noise and information coming at us every day, it's important to have a place you can rely on for truth and balance. If you can, please make a tax-deductible donation to support our work at our website, thelensnola.org slash donate. And thank you.
Marta and Nick, following the Supreme Court's decision overturning Roe v. Wade last week, a state trigger law was set to take effect immediately, theoretically criminalizing abortion, both surgical and medication. But a lawsuit filed in New Orleans appears to have halted the implementation of that law. How many states in the U.S. have triggers like this? Three. Three set to go into effect the second the ruling came down, including Louisiana. Okay, but then really quickly, uh, a lawsuit was filed here, which halted that. What happened? Well, yeah, so when when the ruling came down on Friday, um, the three abortion clinics in the state closed their doors, uh, stopped performing um, abortions. And then there was some various statements were put out by by various public officials. The attorney general put out a statement that said the, the trigger law is now in effect. Um, a New Orleans city council person sort of questioned that and whether or not the, the letter of the law really, really indicates that, that it's immediately in effect. Um, the New Orleans district attorneys indicated that he, he wouldn't be prosecuting any uh, abortion related cases. That was all on Friday. And then on Monday, like you said, a lawsuit was filed asking a judge for a temporary restraining order that would block the um, enforcement of the trigger law. And then that was granted shortly after by a a judge in New Orleans Civil District Court. Um, So sort of putting putting a halt on the on the enforcement of of the law. Okay, and there are three abortion providers in the entire state of Louisiana. Is that right? Yeah, three clinics across. Yeah. Shreveport, New Orleans and Baton Rouge. Okay, so so at first it's we're shut down on Monday. It's no, you're not. It's okay. What what is the effect? What's happening? Well, I think the clinics that Nick might know better than me, but they were hoping to reopen their doors this week. But, um, you know, earlier in the week when that ruling did, the TRO was issued, it was a, a bit unclear when they would be able to get back online. Okay. Yeah, all of them have indicated, and I think the, the Shreveport Clinic has, has certainly started um, uh, doing abortion procedures again. Um, and both the New Orleans and Baton Rouge Clinic have, have indicated that they'll start this week. I'm not sure the exact status of, of whether or not they're being performed currently. but I, it, believe, I believe New Orleans was set to go back. It, it's Thursday today. This will go out on Friday. But uh, I believe the New Orleans uh, clinic was set to uh, start seeing patients again today. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So the process right now is that this lawsuit was filed. A judge granted the TRO, the temporary restraining order. You, you can only assume that there's there's yet an appeal after that. And then does it, what, what happens next? How does this work? All right. So the next hearing is July 8th. Um, So what, what happened, what happened with this, with this first action is it's just a temporary restraining order, which is just a judge or, you know, a judge in this case, uh, judge Robin Jeruso deciding to put the law, uh, the implementation and the enforcement of the law on hold because, you know, having determined that there is a legitimate legal question that needs to be heard before a court, um, you know, it, it would basically cause, uh, you know, it would basically cause irreparable harm to have the uh, have the, the, the law in full effect while it's a possibility that the law could be overturned or permanently enjoined. What we're talking about on July 8th is they will be having actual arguments based on uh, the complaint that was filed, and essentially the complaint argues that the that the that the the trigger law, um, which is which is actually you know uh, several different trigger bans, really at least two, and 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 uh, 
the, the plaintiffs argue three separate trigger bans, that they are so vague as to be unconstitutional. Like, mm-hmm. in other words, you don't know as, as, a, as an abortion provider and, and the state doesn't know which law, which definition of the word abortion, which set of penalties would be applied to any given case. Um, and, you know, a criminal law like this, um, you know, something where, where, where people would be facing prison time, it, it's supposed to be clear. You're suppo- it's supposed to be clear to, uh, you know, police, prosecutors, and anyone who might be prosecuted what they would be prosecuted under. Mm. Uh, the plaintiffs are arguing that is not the case with these laws. Okay. And that's what they're going to be arguing in court on July 8th. Okay, there appears to be, at least in in some states, and particularly in Orleans Parish, there would be, I think, Nick, Jason Williams, DA Jason Williams, has stated that he would not prosecute those seeking abortion. Is that true? To be clear with his language, um, he, he... A DA is not going to come out and say, I refuse to prosecute an entire class of crime. That okay. is how our, our our city council president has, in, has interpreted it. Okay. But to be clear on his exact language, um, he, he said he said essentially that it is not going to be a priority, priority. for the prosecutors in his office. OK, fair yeah, enough. His initial statement, he said he wasn't going to shift priorities. But then he also signed out a letter from from about 80 other prosecutors around the country who said they would refrain from prosecuting those who seek to uh, provide um, abortions. So it's he's certainly indicating that he he won't prosecute, but Charles is right that it hasn't he hasn't stepped up and said I promise I will never never prosecute anyone under this law. Okay, so then set just entertain this for a minute and and see if you can speculate a little bit about that if a place like Orleans Parish becomes a haven of sorts or a refuge of sorts for folks in Louisiana, because otherwise Louisiana in particular is surrounded by other states that are, that instantly had, well, not, they didn't have trigger effects, but they also are trigger bans, but they also are going to have very likely complete agreement with the Supreme court decision and, and close and shut down all abortion providers in their states. So a woman in Louisiana, for example, will have to travel a long uh, distance, right? The Illinois suburbs of St. Louis is the closest, would be the closest, assuming, assuming that all these bans go into effect, the closest uh, clinic would be uh, just outside of, uh, just on the other side of the, of the Missouri state line in Illinois. Okay. So follow this thread with me a little bit that, that there's a, there's a, a DA in Orleans, who's saying that they're not going to make it a, he's not going to make it a priority. Will there then be this whisper network or it's not even, you know, it's shouted to the rooftops. We can continue to operate here, or you could get your abortion pill by the mail through someone in Orleans parish. Just speculate with me about this. So, so there's a number of wrinkles here. Um, so yes, the DA has made this statement about, uh, abortions, uh, not being a priority for his office. And, you know, people I think have, have probably rightly taken that to mean uh, that, you know, he's he's not going to be pursuing these cases. You know, I'm not sure what we've heard from the New Orleans Police Department as as of yet. But uh, with the with the amount of opposition we're hearing from the mayor's office and the city council, um, you know, one one may uh, assume that it, it is likely not going to be a, uh, a an investigative priority for the police department either. 
Um, however, uh, you know, keep in mind that the top prosecutor in the state is Jeff Landry. Right. Um, and Jeff Landry is a staunchly anti-abortion, highly conservative uh, uh, prosecutor. So it, when it comes to whether or not Landry has jurisdiction Mm. Um, in New Orleans, that's also that's also a question um, because you know in the case of say a surgical abortion that happens in New Orleans, the automatic jurisdiction would go to the local prosecutor, and uh, the only the only way for for the AG's office to intervene in that case would be if Jason Williams' office either asks him to, or which you know probably unlikely, or if he files a motion in court and a judge agrees that he has cause to intervene in a, in a prosecution in New Orleans. Um, so that would be, you know, if, if, if he decides to go that route, if, you know, if he, if he comes upon a case uh, and decides to go that route, um, you know, it'd be up to judges and it would that all of which would be subject to appellate review. But however, what I'm wondering about is, is it seems to me that the more natural statewide jur- jurisdiction uh, would be uh, telemedicine, and um, mail, right. um, you know, say, you know, the, the mail goes from state to state, it'll, you know, it'll, it could go from, it could travel through various parishes coming on its way to New Orleans. So I'm wondering if that is going to be more the focus of, of Jeff Landry's office, um, since that seems to lend itself more clearly to a possible statewide jurisdiction. Now, where you get into trouble there is that, uh, you know, the mail uh, well, first of all, when we're talking about these drugs, the FDA is saying that, you know, health, health and human services, U.S. Health and Human Services and the FDA uh, are saying that these are these are approved drugs. Uh, they're safe and effective. And, uh, you know, a state can't ban them uh, over over what the FDA says. So you have that one wrinkle. You have wrinkle two, which is the mail also Protected. overseen by the federal government. So so it's it's a question how much enforcement he can do. And number two. I'm sure he's thought about this politically. Going that route on uh, on uh, prosecutions does does set him up for a fight with uh, both the Biden administration and whatever you know whatever uh, pro-choice groups decide to sue. Uh, you know, in, in in many cases, pro-choice groups, some of whom are from out of state, as was the case in 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 this. In, in this lawsuit uh, we're talking about in New Orleans, hmm. um, one of one of the groups that that was a plaintiff is a New York based group. So Landry immediately focused on that. He's also got himself uh, set up for a fight with uh, with with the Biden administration over how these mail investigations are handled. So you know this uh, you know however it goes um, you know I think it's it's probably safe to say that uh, it is is going to play into uh, Jeff Landry's campaign for governor. He, he likes the optics of getting into getting into fights with uh, with the Biden administration and, uh, you know, so-called blue state pro-abortion groups. And I, I would just say, too, in terms of kind of the risks of for people who provide abortions in New Orleans, even if you take Jason Williams kind of statement to to be a promise that he that he won't prosecute, like Charles said, there's there's the chance that Landry could file to intervene in in court um, if if an arrest is made and and um, and try and bring charges that way. But then he's also there. There's been some um, legislation that would was was introduced last session at the legislature that would have given him sort of broader discretion um, 
over these cases, over sort of any criminal case in the state without um, the, the sort of approval of the district attorney. Those didn't pass this session, but it's a possibility that they could later on. And, you know, he could then go back and potentially prosecute, you know, cases that occurred prior to that. Um, so, you know, one thing that's happened in the last few days is even though this temporary restraining order has been issued, he sent a letter to a, a doctor's society in, in Louisiana. Louisiana. Yeah, the Louisiana for, Medical Society. The, Louis, the Louisiana Medical Society saying basically, you know, we aren't able to enforce this law right now, but these procedures are still illegal. And we believe that under the law, once we win this lawsuit, we can go back and prosecute crimes that occurred even while the temporary restraining order was in place, basically threatening their their uh, medical licenses and and potential you know jail time. By the way, that was that was noted by a lot of commentators yesterday that he did not send this letter to abortion clinics themselves. He did not send it to the state medical licensing board. Um, I don't know why um, he sent it to you know uh, he sent it to essentially a trade group instead. But some were speculating that it was because he feared that, you know, he could get himself in trouble if he was seen as making improper legal threats, uh, you know, against against providers or or, or directly targeting licensure. Hmm. Whatever the, the case is legally, you know, assuming that this this uh, TRO gets lifted and an injunction isn't issued, even if you are in a so, you know, even if you are in a so-called sanctuary parish or anything, it doesn't seem likely that that providers are going to risk 10 years in prison um, mm. because you do have this specter of the attorney attorney general, um, you know, sort of looming over you. So so we'll see what happens to the the staff and the physicians that work in in those clinics. That's a, that's a very good question. I mean, you know, it's hard to, uh, you know, it's hard as a, as, as a reporter to, uh, to, to speak to these people, to people who work for these clinics, the people who run these clinics are very protective of their staff, you know, for completely understandable reasons. So, you know, I'm, I know we haven't been able to speak to any, any staff below the level of administrators at any of these clinics. And I really haven't seen a lot of uh, reporting from elsewhere where people have asked them, you know, what are you going to do now? So I'm not sure. I mean, you know, presumably they'll, they'll, they'll have to find other jobs. Right. Okay. Summer is heating up here. Thank you all. Have a good week. Thanks so much, Kayla. Thank you. This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans First, nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. Thanks to our guests this week, Joshua Rosenberg, Nick Crestel, Marta Jusen, and Lens editor, Charles Maldonado. You can read all the week's other news, plus opinions, at our website, thelensnola.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>